This is the talk of the town. From Morgantown to Clarksburg, if it's happening, we're talking about it. Call the show toll-free at 1-800-765-8255. Now, here is your host for the talk of the town, Dave Wilson. Good morning. Welcome into the program, Talk of the Town. Hope your day's off to a great start. Lots to cover today. Your texts, of course, are always welcome at 800-765-825. No, that's, uh, that's the phone number. 800-765-TALK, 800-765-8255. The text line is 304-TALK-304. Coming up, joining me in studio a couple of minutes from now, we'll talk to Republican gubernatorial candidate Chris Miller. He's been in Morgantown a couple of days. We'll talk to him about his gubernatorial run in 2024. Uh, probably keep him around a segment or two this morning. But first, I want to start with news that broke yesterday, I guess yesterday morning on social media, but uh, really during the Montague County Commission meeting when Commissioner Jeff Arnett announced that former Commissioner Bill Bartolo had passed away. Uh, Bill died Tuesday night. When I first arrived in Morgantown as as a reporter for WAJR, Bill was on the county commission, and more often than not, Bill was the, the odd guy out in that particular version of the county commission. There were a lot of two-to-one votes in those days with Asel Kennedy and uh, Bob Bell, the two commissioners, usually voting in the same direction. And, and then there was Bill Bartolo. But during Bill's tenure on the commission, he, he served with three different commissions, uh, Bob Bell would come off, Eldon Callen would be elected, and eventually Asel Kennedy would come off the commission, and Tom Bloom would be elected. And by the time Bill Bartolo's tenure on the county commission ended in 2024, it had transformed. And I think that's notable because when Bill Bartolo started on the county commission, meetings lasted about 15 minutes. It was boom, 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 boom. There was not any transparency. It was efficient. They were efficient, and they did get a lot of good things done, but you were often left asking a whole lot of questions. By the time his tenure ended, that commission became very transparent. I call them annoyingly transparent because everything is out in the open, and you can consume and watch everything the county commission does and can do out in the public forum. Now, Bill wasn't always on the outside looking in. As, a, as I said, there were a lot of two-to-one votes, but not all the time. There were decisions to build a new sheriff's building, to convert and transform the old federal building into the Montague County Justice Center. There were votes for TIF districts that have spurred economic growth in the city, and he was part of all of those decisions. He was the Westover guy. He helped end a dispute, or at least resolve a dispute, that had been festering for years involving the city of Westover and the Morgantown Mall property owners. He helped see through their minor boundary adjustment request that brought that property into the city of Westover after 20 years of uh, kerfuffle between those two sides. I knew Bill as the county commissioner. And Bill was always helpful to me as a new reporter to, or as a reporter new to the area in trying to understand what the commission was doing, the initiatives the commission was taking. And often he would be happy to provide the 
other perspective, if you will, on those two-to-one votes. I'm sure many of you out there knew him much longer than I did and knew him personally, not as county commissioner, but just as Bill, Bill Bartolo. He will certainly be missed here in the Morgantown and Montegay County community. 800-765-TALKS, the phone number, 304-TALK-304 is the text line. I want to welcome in uh, Montegay County Commission President Tom Bloom, uh, who served with Bill on the county commission. Like I said, knew him a lot longer than I did. Morning, Tom. Hey, good morning, Dave. You did a tremendous synopsis. I was going to sit back and listen to <laughs> more because you did a lot better than what I think I could have done. But no, you were right. I, I love the one analogy you made. He was the Westover man. Yeah. And I, I say that because when I first got on council, the commission, the big argument was Westover annexation. Yeah. And it had been voted down two to one. I got on it and we had to go through. Uh, went to court, and then it went back and allowed us to review it again. And then there was a 2-1 vote, but this time we approved the annexation. But I, I will tell you, he was a community person. I remember being here since the 70s, and his name and his brother, the Bartola family, uh, Sheriff Whiston, um, Starcher, they were the they were the sounding board for this community in the Democratic Party. And if you wanted to know something was going on, you would ask the Bartolos. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and the, the thing is, he was really community oriented. And, and I was just talking with my wife, and I remember one day that he said, hey, we need to go out to the, the new mall at the time. And it was a community day, and were dogs being, uh, you know, you could, you could adopt a dog. And... We were walking by, and he said, Tom, you always talk about collies. There's a collie there. And we adopted Lady. That was 10 years ago. And, you know, that's the type of person he was. But he was very straightforward. And sometimes I like to use the word gruff because (laughs) he he would get into some really good, healthy discussions with me and with Eldon. And I will just say one that the most memorable one is I've been just on – commission for like two weeks and he and Eldon got into a problem and concern about annexation to the point that they both stood up and pulled his back ready to fight during a commission meeting because it was so volatile Now nothing ever happened I mean and they became they're really good friends but that's how he could get you going and when he wanted a position he stayed in that position and the thing is he, he reminds me of how Morgantown and the Montague County was. It was people like him that gave community and dedication and synonymous with uh, community support. And, and that's what I miss most, of, most about him. When they mentioned it, I mean, I was in shock yesterday. It's, it's just like I just saw him yesterday. And he, he was such just a good person that he was great for Montague County at that time. Talking to Montague County Commission President Tom Bloom about the uh, passing of Bill Bartolo. You had served, obviously, on city council uh, years prior to getting elected to the county commission, but uh, did did Bill give you any advice when you came onto the commission, or uh, what kind of discussions did you guys have prior to uh, you getting elected? Well, I think Bill, Bill, Bill basically said, Tom, you're elected for people, and I – and he used the word that I always use now. 
you're using OP funding. I said, what's, what's OP funding? Mm-hmm. Other people's funding. So therefore, when you made decisions, you had to make sure that you weren't making it in your best interest or if you had a chip on the shoulder, you had to look at the bigger picture. And he was really uh, supportive of Eldon's move when we started to move over the western area on the TIF district. I mean, people don't understand. We met 18 months before the TIF district even got started. And I will tell you, he was not for it in the beginning because he was very concerned about keeping funds in one area. But no, he, he definitely had input. And, and ironically, when I was on city council, there was not much of a relationship between city council and county commission, kind of like now, but no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, we, you know, but he really believed that the community needed to have more input. And you're right. Once he and Eldon and I started moving forward, we realized that we had to be more open and transparent. And that was the big argument uh, that he was concerned about. He did not like that. Now, maybe because he was always on the one vote of a two-one vote. <laughs> but but then he realized, and I think the three of us and Eldon, you know, really made a difference to really get the community involved and open things up and make it more transparent. Yeah, I actually had a conversation. We were, I uh, was talking, well, I'll tell you who I was talking to. I was talking to Kay Murray yesterday. Yes. Uh, who would try to get from this show to a commission meeting at 10 o'clock and, and could never make it. And <laughs> we, we kind of laughed at how it, it, it did a 180 during those last couple of years of, of Bill being on the commission and then uh, with with you and then Ed Hawkins and, and, and has continued. I like to call you guys annoyingly transparent, Tom, because yes. everything is out there. But that's the way it that's the way it was meant to be in my mind. I think Bill shared those fe- obviously shared those feelings. He also supported, if you remember, I was still a guidance counselor and I had asked to move the meetings for a while to evening. <laughs> I remember that very well, that, Tom. <laughs> and no one showed up. So then we tried it at two o'clock or three three o'clock. And he supported that. And the thing was, he what we were trying to make it more transparent and open, and he supported that. But, you know, I have to admit, he was right. No one showed up, so it was a lot better to continue it at 10 and have all the city administrators there to be able to answer any questions. So he was willing, as much as he was stoic, he was willing, if you, if you could really make a good argument, he was willing to listen to you and give it a chance. And, and you know what? That, to me, is the sign of a good a good legislator or or yes. good government representative, whatever how whatever the term you want to use, Tom, willing to listen. And I mean, I I knew he was a Democrat, but if you asked me to identify his political party through his actions on the commission, I don't know that I could have. And I think that's something else that the commissions have maintained over the last, you know, whether it's been uh, with you and and, and Ed and Sean Secor, now with Jeff. Um, you look at issues, you look at the what's best for the community, and I th- and Bill did that in in my judgment, in my few years of, of knowing him and covering him here, uh, here in Montague County. You're exactly. One other story that a lot of high school students from University High will remember him. I ran student council. We had all the dances. We would hire the Valiant Security to oversee the dances, and he loved it. He would enjoy being there and, and mixing with the kids. And, and I think that's something people didn't realize. I mean, you had that side of the elected official, but you also had, 
They're down to earth, just wanting kids to, you know, have a good time. Tom, I appreciate you coming on this morning and uh, sharing some of the memories. And like you said yesterday, it's a it's a big loss for the community with uh, Bill Bartolo's passing. Well, thank you, and thank you very much for allowing us to talk a little bit about Bill. All right, next time we'll talk about the budget, okay? Okay, sounds good. <laughs> appreciate it. Take care. Montague County Commission President uh, Tom Bloom. You can share your thoughts as well. Uh, text me, 304-TALK-304. Coming up on the other side of the break, Republican gubernatorial candidate Chris Miller going to be in studio with me. We'll be back in a moment. We're talking about your town. Now back to the talk of the town. Joining me in studio this morning is Republican gubernatorial candidate Chris Miller. Chris runs the Dutch Miller Auto Group, among one of the biggest auto dealerships in West Virginia. Married, three kids, son of Congresswoman Carol Miller. I guess I kind of took the uh, intro right away from you there, but uh, Chris Miller joining me in the studio. Hey, Chris. I love it, man. Thanks you know, Thanks for doing the introduction. I appreciate it. Appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having us. So this... uh, what, what what brings you up to the north central West Virginia area well, this week? On, on a little tour of the state, getting to meet as many people as I can. Um, coincidentally, brought up a speaker to WVU yesterday evening and then to West Virginia Wesleyan in Buchanan tonight. Um, this is a gentleman that is one of the founding members of the National Holocaust Museum. And there was a survey a couple of years ago of college grads, and surprisingly, 60%, over 60% of them either A, thought the Holocaust didn't happen, or B, thought the numbers were totally exaggerated. And so there's a, there's a re-education kind of thing that we're going through, and just thought it'd be pretty important to explain to college kids what really happened during the Holocaust, so... That's first. Well, that's yeah. we we could do a whole show just yeah. on, on that staggering number, but uh, we got, we have items on the list. Um, introduce yourself. I, I did the short intro, but yeah. you're uh, we were talking during the break. A little bit new to this part of the state, so introduce yourself. I am, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a politician. No, I no desire whatsoever to be a politician. Um, I like problem solving. Um, you know, if I could summarize who I am, literally, when I was 10 and a half years old, I told my dad I wanted a pair of Air Jordan tennis shoes. And when he found out they cost $125, he told me to get a job. So got a paper out. Woke up early every single morning, delivered in the newspapers, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, Easter didn't matter, and did that for two and a half years. And I've been working ever since. Um, we, we've got a bison farm in Cabell County, right on the border between Cabell and Mason counties. And after that, started working on our bison farm, building fence and cutting down locust trees and skinning locusts for corner posts. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but they smell like sewage. I mean, it's <laughs> awful. Yes. Uh, building barbed wire fencing, ba- baling hay, running heavy equipment, welding, uh-huh. building corral for bison. Um, did that for years and years and then uh, uh, went off to college, um, got married, got involved in the family business and uh, systematically started growing it. And we now... Um, have about 26 different enterprises, employ about 600 different people, and have about $750 million in revenue on a yearly basis that uh, comes in and out of all of our entities. And, um, you know, I believe in working really, really hard. Um, you know, I've got a family, I've got three kids, and I've been married for almost 20 years, and have two Great Dane puppies. So, you know, <laughs> hey, life's good. You're clearly busy. You've got the successful business. You got a family to keep you busy. You got two puppies to keep you busy. <laughs> Why in the world are you running for governor? Man, that's a great question. Um, I believe that if you have the aptitude and the ability, and you see a problem, and no one else is prepared to step up and fix it, then you're socially and morally obligated to do it. 
And our state is in this very, very sweet position where we have a major set of financial catastrophes coming down the road, but we also have a huge opportunity in front of us if we act and start right now. Um, because of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, the pressure that put on rural states for Medicare and Medicaid expansion, and our unique aging population, our DHHR's budget, is going to continue to balloon up until between 8 and 12 years from now, depending on the actuarial model you look at. It affects the bond rating statewide and makes the cost of government go way up. And when that, hap when that happens, we won't have a productive tax base below it to justify its big, bloated existence. And so there's only two options, which is deep austerity and budget cuts and a financial tailspin, or you start right now and you focus on economic growth and growing the population. And if we can add 200 to 300,000 people to our state over the next 10 years, we can avert a financial catastrophe. Is that the problem? You said if you see a problem, you're obligated to do That's something. Is that the problem you That's see? That's the problem. That, that is it right there. And there is only one way to fix it, and it is to start now and focus on economic growth. Um, coincidentally, started a data company in March of 2020. So I was really curious to see what was going to happen. Anytime throughout history we've had a pandemic, um, you know, it's the same formula. Ruling government entity creates a set of policies, and then human beings respond to them culturally, socially, and economically. And what the data is telling us is we are in the beginning stages of a demographic shift in our country. And it's not as simple as California to Texas or New York and New Jersey to Florida. It's much more ingrained in a lot of stuff. Um, when we, well, first off, the Black Lives Matter Antifa rioting stuff that happened made people really, really uneasy. And the data is there to show that. And when we locked a bunch of people down in urban areas surrounded by concrete and they couldn't go to the gym, they couldn't get their haircuts, they couldn't go to comedy shows, they couldn't go see friends and family members, it made people really, really uneasy. And then one of the shining pieces of data is access to health care. If you had to have an elective procedure during the pandemic, you were SOL, man. And if you had to have gallstone surgery, you were waiting three to four times longer than normal to get that surgery done. And that's not comfortable at all. And one of the shining pieces of data is if you had a baby during the pandemic and then had complications afterwards, there's case after case after case of people waiting 9 to 11 hours in an ER before they were seen. So all that stuff is kind of creating some of the movement. Some of it's economic, too. Um, the Trump tax cuts got rid of the SALT deductions. And so it used to be if you lived in a high-tax state, you were able to deduct your state income taxes, your personal property taxes, your gas taxes, and everything from your federal ticket before you sent your check in. Rates went down, but those deductions went away. And so coincidentally, three of the four fastest growing states in the country all have one thing in common, and that is a zero state income tax. And that's driving a lot of movement. But West Virginia has what people want. And if we play our cards exactly the right way, we can do something amazing here. If you look at what's happening geopolitically around the world, Putin wrote his senior dissertation for his PhD on controlling the flow of energy into Europe for political and economic might. So look at what he's doing in the Ukraine right now. That's the direct line for natural gas and wheat into Europe. And he's there deliberately. And now the people in Europe, you know, Sweden, Norway, um, Germany, others are finally going like, we need to start burning coal because we can't power our country without the natural gas through windmills. And so there's a major opportunity. If you look at our state, there's four things that we have. Coal, natural gas with an unexplored Marcellus shale. We now have the ability for nuclear power. 
And most importantly, if you look at our state on a map, because of the Continental Divide and the aquifer system, more water passes through the state of West Virginia than any other state in the country. We've got an incredible amount of miles of river. We also own the Ohio River to the border of Ohio. That's ours. And the greatest wars of our great-grandkids' lifetimes are not going to be fought over diamonds or dollars or gold. It's going to be fought over water. And you're seeing the Chinese and other large corporations, guys like Bill Gates that are buying fertile farmland all around the world near water. And there's a reason why. Uh, you know, California is a total disaster and is drying up. The Arizona Reservoir is drying up. The Colorado River is drying up. The dams in Nevada are shrinking down to the point where they're uncovering bodies. The mafia threw in there to build Las Vegas. And West Virginia is the birthplace of water for the East Coast. And I think it's about time that we leverage all those special things that we have, coal, natural gas, the potential for nuclear, and water, and use that to drive down the cost of power for our people and use that, aside from adjusting some of the incentive mechanisms, use the cheap power and being the state in the union that has the cheapest power to drive our population and grow our state. And I think that's what we need to be doing. That all sounds great. I guess the, the large question, how do you bring in 200,000 people? How do you grow the state? How is West Virginia, and I agree with you, we, we have all of that sitting here, but how do we put ourselves in that position to be this, this leader and it, I don't want to say combat necessarily what's going on in Washington, but how do we put ourselves in this position to be what you just described? That's a great question. So, um, you know what happens when you corner a rabid dog? They're going to fight you. And we right now are cornered and we have to do this and we have to come out swinging and we got to fight. There's a lot of work to do. Um, you know, if you're talking about systematically how do you accomplish it, you start by putting turbines in the rivers. They connect straight into the utility grid system of municipalities disperse the power and drive down the cost. That's where you start. You start making the power cheaper inside of the city areas. Then you do something even bigger and you wind up building big lakes. We've got mountains and valleys, which means we've got breadth and depth. We build big lakes and we get into something called forced or pushed hydro. Water's released, comes downstream, catch the power, use a small nuclear reactor to shoot it back up to the top and store it. That's how you create a baseload. Coal, baseload. Natural gas, baseload. Hydro, baseload. Nuclear, baseload. And we become the state in the union that provides power for everybody and literally turns ourselves into the battery of the East Coast. And it all works hand in hand. If we drive down the cost of power and adjust some of the taxation stuff and then get very aggressive marketing the state, not only to people, because we know they want to come. We've got the stuff that they want. Hills, trees, rivers, streams, high quality of life, low cost of living. We already know with the data that people are looking. All we got to do is sell them on coming to us. And then you do the same thing with economic development. You identify the businesses you know would be looking for what we have, and then you usher them down a decision-making funnel to come to you. You just got to be aggressive. You got to go out and get the business. It's the same thing as running a business. If I'm sitting down and want to grow my business, or I've got to go through crazy cuts, you either focus on the creation and growing the top line, or you cut your way into it. And guess what? It's a lot easier to grow and focus on that kind of approach than cutting your way out of it. And so I want to start now and put us in a position where we're not looking at the financial catastrophe down the road and fix this sucker. Talking to Chris Miller, joining us in studio this morning, Republican gubernatorial candidate. Let's squeeze in a very quick break. We're back in a moment. 
Join the conversation at 1-800-765-8255. This is the Talk of the Town. Chris Miller is joining us in studio today, Republican gubernatorial candidates. It's a crowded field for that primary. Moore Capito, Mac Warner, J.B. McCuskey, uh, Rashida Yost, Terry Bradshaw. Not that one. Uh, Alex. I wish it was the other Terry Bradshaw. That'd be awesome. Uh, Edwin Vanover also all have filed uh, pre-candidacy papers. uh, And and we'll visit with all of them between now and May, obviously. Uh, Chris, I can tell you right now, and, and you know this, or you wouldn't be in politics, all politics end up being local. And there are a lot of folks who are listening in right now saying, great ideas, big ideas, probably might even be applauding you right now. But they're also sitting there thinking, we are overlooked in North Central West Virginia. And a lot of people have this feeling for various reasons. I will spare you all the reasons here today. But they feel overlooked or neglected and are going, great. Another guy from Southern West Virginia. We're never going to see anything up here with infrastructure, economic development. We're going to have to fight for everything on our own. What do you say to those folks? You know, it's funny because I go to the northern panhandle and they say the same thing. <laughs> I go to the southern part of the state they say the same thing. You go to the eastern panhandle, they say the same thing. And it is literally, we're in a position right now where we're all going to have to work together. And the development needs to be happening all around the state. And guess what the really cool thing is? You know what is all around the state when you look at our river systems and our water flow? Not including the aquifer system, which is all underground. It's everywhere in the state. So all of that development that comes off of that is going to benefit all of us. And, man, they've taken our coal. They've taken our natural gas. We don't have a lot to show for it. Come, you know, come time, I'm not going to let them take our water. We're going to use that for us, and we're going to use it to cut the cost of power, and we're going to give back to the people of West Virginia, and it's going to hit all of us. And then guess what? The economic development that comes off of it, it's going to benefit all of us. You know, you think about a business that is looking to locate somewhere. If you're the state in the union that has the cheapest power, they're going to come to you, especially if they do power-intensive stuff. If you're Ma and Paul Kettle or Ma and Paul Adkins and you're white picket fence, both of them on Social Security and you're retired, and you cut their power bill, you've done something impactful in their life. And they are all around our state. And I just think we need to look at how we're doing things differently and really take what government can be and use it to make people's lives better. Because as of right now, man, it doesn't. We need to create a culture inside of government that starts treating the customers or starts treating the taxpayers like customers, not citizens beholden to the government entity. And you've got to do all this stuff. But it's kind of all intertwined, too. When you look at the other issues that we face and we face them, they're kind of big. You know, the Department of Highways is already bonded to the hilt, and we're not going to be able to finish the road bonds project, but about two thirds of it. That's because of inflation changing costs in labor after the pandemic, and then also rising interest rates. And so we're going to have to fund the Department of Highways, not with the ability to borrow money in the future, but through general revenue. So we got to get creative. we got to fix that problem because we got to build roads if we're going to grow the state. Chris Miller joining us in studio. The legislature did pass the tax cuts, obviously, in this session. Largest tax cut in history. There are benchmarks to possibly reach uh, zero income tax somewhere down the road. How does West Virginia achieve that? And maybe this goes back to everything you just laid out over the last segment and a half here, but how do we achieve that? How do we get creative, cre- you, I don't want to say generating revenue, finding revenue so we can build the roads, so we can fund projects to put turbines 
uh, in the river system and do all these great things and attract all these people here. Well, there's opportunities for public-private partnerships. You know, you look at Lake Norman, for example. That was built by Duke Energy outside of Charlotte, North Carolina in the late 70s. And Charlotte used to be smaller than Charleston and Huntington and Morgantown, West Virginia. And guess what? Now it is thriving, and it's got over 2.5 million people in it, and it's got a crazy growth rate. And Lake Norman, the property around there, the values shot up. And it is like that kind of stuff we can do. But more importantly, um, you know, the tax cuts are a good thing. It's the largest tax cut in our state. But all of this stuff is correlated to population growth because if you grow the tax base, you grow the people, you grow commerce, and you grow revenue to the business or revenue to the government. So you got to grow the tax base. But you know, you think about everything else connected to it as well. You start growing the tax base, you start growing the population, you fix the cost of health care because we're in a time where we're in rising cost of health care. And you do that, you grow the pool of people that are paying into private insurance, rates are going to go down because you've got more of an ability to mitigate costs. So that matters. Like, we grow the population, we start reducing the cost of insurance for our people. Lastly, we're in an interesting time when it comes to the position West Virginia can play in the world. And we're in, we're in a point where power is going to continue to go up in cost because everything's being connected into our utility grid system. Everything's being connected into electricity. And we don't have an infrastructure in place from a power standpoint to handle 10% of the cars on the road today being converted to electric vehicles and tap into the utility grid system without causing rampant brownouts and blackouts. So you think about that. How do you fix that? Base load. You fix that with base load providers. Coal, natural gas, nuclear, and water. And we've got it. So it's problem solving to meet market demands as well as being creative and growing. It all adds up together. Like it's all together. Like if we can fix almost every problem that exists in this state by focusing on growing the population. It can be done. Long pause there, because I'm, I'm just uh, digesting all of it. And I don't necessarily disagree with, with what you're saying. I would love to see more baseload generation. But West Virginia, we can't do it on our own. We still have to deal with whomever's in the White House. Or, or can we do it on our own? We can, and that's the okay. really cool thing. How? Like, let, Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. Like, I think West Virginia as well, we've got a, like an identity issue. And you know, we've been exploited for a long period of time in my mind. Like We mined the coal that built the steel that led to a victory in World War I. We mined the coal that built the steel that led to a victory in World War II. We then mined the coal that led to the cheap energy and the greatest capitalistic expansion in human history post-World War II. We provided more soldiers per capita in every war since the creation of our state than any other state in the country, and also had more decorated soldiers per capita than any other state in the country. And we got nothing to show for it from the federal government. We got nothing. And so if we're going to do this, we're going to have to work together, be very, very energetic, and do it on our own without them. We have to. And we can. There's the ability as well. You know, um, some of the things have to do with court cases, right? One, you've got the West Virginia versus EPA thing that is going to be, it's going to play into the favor with the plan that I've got. Two, Georgia had a lake. Overflow of the lake went into Florida. Georgia diverted the overflow into Atlanta because it needed the clean water for population growth, so Florida sued them. Federal judge gets involved, and long story short, goes, as eh, a state's rights issue, as long as the Corps of Engineers oversees this project's okay, we don't have a dog in this fight. And now that is even federal 
precedence that gives us the ability to control a lot of our water stuff. And so now we have the ability to produce more energy through coal. We have the ability to explore more gas through the Marcellus Shale. We have the ability now because of really good state laws that are going to allow us to look into exploring nuclear. And we've got all this opportunity when it comes to water. Why can't we do it ourselves? We're not going to rely on the federal government to help us. We might as well do it ourselves and show the rest of the world what we're really capable of. I look at it, and the reason I question it is not that we need the federal government for help, but it can get in the way, and I will use Pleasant's Power Station down in my hometown as an example. There are so many regulations, fees. To upgrade that plant to federal regulations is is totally um, inefficient. Cost prohibitive. Cost prohibitive is what I was looking for. Yeah. So they're going to shut it down, which from a business standpoint makes total sense. So can we do it? Yes, but my concern and where I'm coming from is – is what happening is what is going on in Washington going to get in the way because if it were up to West Virginia we'd obviously keep that plant we want that plant open right we want that coal fired power plant base load generation there for however long it takes to get to the next thing to get to the next thing like you're talking about but the federal regulations are going to be in the way so can we can we do it on our own i'm sure we can we're West Virginia but there are going to be obstacles in the way. How do we overcome those? Of course. There's going to be a dogfight, man. We just have to be fearless and get out and do it. it Public-private partnerships are going to be pretty big in the future. Figuring, th there's got to be a way to figure out keeping that power plant open. There's got to be outside investors that would be interested in that, especially when you had a state that was literally saying, we are going to do this. And then guess what? We've got the precedents from the Supreme Court and also federal case precedents that's going to allow us to control more of our energy. So we can do it. And also, listen, there's times where we've got to be creative. We have to think creatively. There are, so MIT, they developed plasma lasers. This is going to sound crazy, but this is real technology. And I can send you the article when we're done. That you put into coal mines that are not being used any longer, and you drill straight down into geothermal heat sources. And then you can take that generator from that closing coal-fired power plant, move it to that mine that is tapped into the geothermal heat, connect it straight into the utility grid system, and then use it to perpetuate power constantly through the heat of the earth. So it is identifying a problem, going forward and solving it, and then having plan B and plan C as well to solve it. So like, we just got to think creatively, man. We cannot take no for an answer. If we take no for an answer, we are not going to accomplish what needs to happen, which is growing the population. And then we're going to have major problems down the road. I mean, it is going to be catastrophic if we don't start doing this stuff right now. This all goes back to population growth, like I said. But this is why I'm doing this, man. I don't need a job. I'm married. I've got three kids. I live a great life. I work all the time. I got a bunch of businesses. But our state needs to act, and we need to act right now. And I'm tired of sitting back and watching little things and not big enough things happen. And I want to get involved and roll up my sleeves and fight for the people of West Virginia. Chris Miller, Republican gubernatorial candidate. Thanks for stopping by, buddy. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Stop by any time you're up in this part of the, world, the uh, state. You bet. Your thoughts, let me know, 304-TALK-304. We'll get to those next. Now back to the Talk of the Town. Your thoughts, welcome, 800-765-TALK, or uh, you can text me at 304-TALK-304. Interesting conversation. That was a very interesting conversation there with uh, Chris Miller. 
304 Talk, 304, the text line, 800 765 8255. To the phones we go. Bill, how's it going? I'm coming your way tomorrow, buddy. That's that's the rumor that I heard. Yeah, coming your way. Hey, I, I just I didn't know you that you planned the format of the show the way you did today because of the events that happened. But I, let me put this as a listener of how this went together. Uh, I, I was one of the four uh, Democratic primary candidates for county commissioner in 2008. Okay, and and I I listened to Tom Bloom and. It, obviously, I was involved in the MMPO at that time and, and the other um, Department of Health, et cetera, et cetera. In that uh, time of the, the campaigning, if you will, that that was clean, neat, no personal attacks. And, and, you know, obviously the voting base was the Bartolo family and Denny Peluga's group and Steve Cook group, which is from the educational side. But it, but that, I would say, set the standard, set the bar, whatever, before before 2008, it, there was, I'll say, some campaigning that wasn't very warm and friendly. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Now, what Tom Bloom said going forward about how the county commission boringly transparent, and what Chris Miller just said over the last 25 minutes or so about thinking outside the box, look what Montague County has done by getting out of that 2008 prior mentality of how county business operated and fast forward to 2020 and how county business and cetera operates for North Central West Virginia, Chris Miller is absolutely spot on, okay? Just just take, take the, I'll say, the blinders off, if you will, but think outside the box, push the envelope. It, it will work. It will happen. And Sean Score and, and Tom and Jeff down there now are taking over from where Ellen Callen was and, and Ed Hawkins. So Chris Miller's absolutely right about the philosophy of West Virginia. Well, to your point, Bill, uh, w- with the county commission, and we'll use them as an example, a lot of folks said, well, you, you can't reduce spending. They have. Um, they have. Now, they've trimmed about every piece of fat off that budget that's possible, but in doing that, They've been able to maintain allocations, reduce the base property tax rate. There are, of course, levies. And Montegalli County residents enjoy the lowest base property tax rate. I believe it's the lowest now uh, in the state of West Virginia. And it that took hard work and will to, to make that happen. So uh, I think your comparison to the, what has happened with the county in the last 10 to 15 years, um, I think it works is, is what I'm saying, Bill. Yeah, it's, it's in a in of I'll say I don't like people who are totally pessimistic about woe is me and I'm a victim and I need help from somebody. I just don't like those people. Mm-hmm. But in the optimistic side, I mean, you got to roll up your sleeves and it can be done. So however you want to push the envelope, when it becomes in a transparent process, not in a back room somewhere, you get a lot more better ideas about pushing the envelope forward. Well, I'm, I'm like you, Bill. If there is a problem or you, you have a goal, instead of focusing on all the reasons you cannot achieve that, uh, try to figure out a way to make it happen. Uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Bill? Fruit of the maple tree. That smells so good, the fruit of the maple tree. <laughs> Can't wait. You better bring some for the uh, front desk tomorrow. Bases are covered. All right. 
and and your cohort that fills in your seat. Oh yes, yes. I, I, yeah, I got. I, I asked him a couple weeks, three, well, about a month ago now, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I like that." <laughs> All right, Bill. Look, looking forward to it, buddy. Always good to hear from you. Thanks. See you. Take care. We've got to take a break. Back in a moment to wrap it up. We're talking about your town. Now back to the talk of the town. Plum out of time for today. Tomorrow is Anything Goes Friday, the show where we talk about anything you want to. Talk to you then.